hockey fights, lifestyle, and tales from a first-round draft bust? We have it all and more on the Hockey Podcast Network, your home for boutique hockey content and podcasts covering every team in the NHL. Hey, 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 Tommy V, Mikey CLT, here at Down Bar Breakdown, and uh, (laughs) we're pumped. We are super pumped, man. We are at episode 91. We've got an awesome interview coming up. What? Did did you mean to do that? Yes, I absolutely meant to. Down Bar Breakdown, dude. (laughs) You know, I, I figured I would start a trend of, like, calling us, like, Something weird and different every so often. Okay. So I did. I meant to do that. I should have warned you, but I didn't. You never do. You never warn me. No, I just wanted to. The element of surprise is very important. Um, But um, yeah, thanks for being back with us. We are super pumped uh, to be here. And um, I really uh, am excited about what we're about to drop on you guys. Uh, you know, we've been teasing for the past couple of weeks that we've got some stuff in the works and, uh, we can finally confirm some of it. So I will just shoot it right over to, to Mikey and he can let you know what's next for bar down breakdown of some sweet diggable stuff. So go ahead, Mikey, drop it. So I'm sure all of you remember our interview with Mike Forbes of outer time episode 69 going way back where Tom in the middle of the episode started online shopping (laughs) and that was because mike brought up this hockey apparel company called coast to coast hockey and they have a bunch of crossover hockey designs that we thought were awesome so we've been rocking coast to coast ever since then and we've kind of become homies with the owners of the company and love what they're doing and we're like, hey, let's let's do like a collaboration ourselves. And we were kind of toying with the idea of doing some bar down breakdown designs. And ever since we got our new logo, I was just like really in love with it. And I was like, we got to get shirts made and they have to be coast to coast shirts. So that's what they are. They're going to be so we have two designs that we are going to drop on Black Friday. One is our flagship shirt, which is our Bar Down Breakdown logo right on the chest uh, over on the pocket. And then on the back will be a large scale version of the logo. So that's our our classic flagship shirt on the most ridiculously soft shirt you will ever wear. It is legit like a butter shirt. (laughs) And... That that it's just a a classic look, and if you follow us on Instagram or any of our social medias, you know that we've been teasing that design for a little bit. You know, just kind of randomly adding it to our stories and not giving much context. But those shirts are awesome. I've been rocking mine for a couple of weeks now. And then the other shirt design is a fun one. 
that that you know Tom and I being Long Island boys growing up in the '90s, you know this is something near and dear to our hearts. And um, back in the '90s, there was actually a professional roller hockey team called the Long Island Jaws. And ever since a li- ever since I was a little kid, I always thought it was just a- an awesome design. And you know, obviously, the professional r- roller hockey league wasn't you know didn't last very long and you know you, you kind of didn't see the logo much and for some reason I was like man I, I wonder if I could like even find it anywhere and we ended up coming up with a bar down breakdown spin on the Long Island Jaws logo made the the shark punk rock and uh I think it's it's going to be a a, a hit it's going to be on a nice little ringer tee. So all of my fashionistas know exactly what I'm talking about. I'm a, I'm a big fan of the ringer tee myself. So I think you, you, you boys and girls will like that one. And now that you know a little backstory, you know that it's not just like a random shark, like punk, punk rock hockey playing shark. But uh, it, it's, it's, a, it's a fun one. Look it up. See if you could find it. I've only found one image of the, the logo in my deep searching. So let me know if you come across any other or maybe even come across some vintage merch from the Long Island Jaws. And then uh, since we are in the holiday spirit, Tom and I and and the boys over at Coast to Coast, we've decided to launch and drop these shirt designs on Black Friday. And with Black Friday to to kick off the holiday season, you know that we're going to throw you some discounts. So using the code bar down breakdown, you'll get 10% off your entire order, including those two new bar down breakdown shirts. We're going to throw in a sticker pack, which will include an exclusive bar down breakdown car decal. Just, just because we love you. And then the icing on the cake. One lucky order. We'll also get the exclusive Bar Down Breakdown 32-ounce water bottle. We're going to throw that into one lucky winner. So, ho, ho, ho. Let's go. Wow. I mean, that is just like, that's the deal of the century. And um, that 10% off order code, make sure that uh, when you're using that code Bar Down Breakdown, you know, grab our shirts. But, dude, all of the coast-to-coast designs are dope. And if you hadn't had your chance to to check them out, you know, make sure when you're online shopping, you buy some of those coast to coast shirts too, because they are printed on awesomely soft material. They got great designs. I love my um my my black flag coast to coast shirt. Just it's fantastic. Um, I love my PBR shirt. Keep hipsters out of hockey shirt. Great shirt. Um, so make sure that you know you're. You're, you're patronizing our boys over at coast to coast because you know the the more you buy the better it's going to be for everyone because you know formula is expensive you know mikey's got to buy formula you know and, and me Dude, records don't, are don't put it out there that my my baby is a formula baby she is well, straight from the teat <laughs> and and listen and i have started collecting records again so i need this uh, this record junkie money man no, but but in, in all honesty, uh, and it I'm wouldn't just, be Bardow breakdown without me messing up 
the coupon code. The coupon <laughs> code's actually just bar down. Bar down oh, breakdown's not- too long. It's oh, just bar wow. down. Just bar down. Wow, we can't even get that right. Nobody likes us. We don't care. <laughs> stolen, stolen straight from the from the VG boys themselves. But listen, um, we are really stoked about this stuff. So we hope that on Black Friday, you get your uh, your clicking fingers ready and you uh, head over to coast to coast and uh, you check out these shirts and you buy them. And uh, you know, if you buy them once you get them, we'd love to uh, you know see some pictures of you in these digs. And we'll post them up on our bar down Twitter and Instagram accounts. You know, we'd love to see you repping, repping our brand and, you know, getting that free water bottle. One lucky guy is awesome. And that sticker pack and that cool car decal, man, it's, it's awesome. It's all great stuff. And, uh, we are really, really excited to finally kind of share this with you guys after months of teasing it. And, uh, we couldn't be more excited to work with coast to coast on this because they're great guys. And uh, they really do some awesome things. And this, the merch that they create is is fantastic. So really super stoked about it. And now that you know that, I will let Mikey lead us into uh, our episode that we've got, uh, episode number 91, uh, with, um, the Butch with our homie. episode, right? That's the only number 91 I ever known in my lifetime. Yeah, I don't, I don't, I, that, I can't think of any others. No, I don't, I don't know. That's, that's a, that's a. It kind of like that number bubbles up something in me, but I can't think of what it is. Maybe it's just a fart. (laughs) Probably. Probably. Barbecued potato chips smelling farts. Anyways. So uh, (laughs) we have our our homie Steve from Young Rising Sons. Um, Great, great episode. Um, If you've never heard Young Rising Sons, you probably don't realize that you've heard them before. Um, they are in this stratosphere making great music, great indie rock. And, uh, they've just so happened to have, um, you know, released a a single back a couple of years that, uh, really just caught fire and, uh, they've been cranking them out ever since. So, uh, we have an awesome interview coming up. We hope you enjoy it. We talk a little bit about, uh, uh, you know, the band and, uh, you know, how they were on a little short hiatus for a couple of years, but have come back with some, some new singles and uh it's just great stuff man so we appreciate uh steve you know for taking the time to be on the show and uh i'll just shut up and let you enjoy the interview so uh we'll see you on the other side huh inside my heart there's an emptiness a heavy head on a hollow chest
I'm looking for What's going on, everybody? Episode 91 of Bar Down Breakdown. And we are here. Very, very awesome. We've got our buddy Steve Patrick from Young Rising Suns. And uh, um, I think their last uh, <laughs> their their last single that they put out already has like a, a, a million billion plays or something like that. So we are <laughs> super pumped to have you on, man. Uh, welcome back to the uh, to the music sphere. I know you've been, uh, you know, Young Rising Suns has kind of been gone for a couple of years and just came back. Uh, you, know, you guys released Halloween in October and you just released Happy uh, about a couple of days ago. So uh, super stoked to have you on, man. What's going on? Yeah, hell yeah. Thanks for having me on, guys. Um, yeah, just stoked in general. We we took some time off. Um, we were, you know, we we had another band that we were kind of focusing on for a bit, um, a few of the guys. And and uh you know, quarantine came and, and we started just, we started writing a lot of songs over FaceTime uh, and kind of realized like, Hey, these all feel like sun songs. Um, and they, they just had a different vibe entirely. And we were like, okay, maybe, maybe now's the time to, to come back and, and start doing this again. And, and we did. And it's been like, it's been so cool uh, to kind of see how people are reacting and, and like getting back out there as young rising sun. So it's been, it's been awesome. So we're stoked. Uh, and I'm stoked to be on this with you guys. I get to talk some hockey and music. It's like this is literally my dream. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's awesome, man. We're, uh, we're we're super excited that you uh, took the time to come on. So, um, just kind of curious. So, you know, obviously two years out of you know out of at least the Suns game. Um, so, what really brought you back into it? Was it just that like you guys came back together again and you know had some ideas to put some music together? Did you just miss it or was it serendipitous or was it just that, you know, COVID made you guys bored and you wanted to get back into it? I I think it's like a little from column A, a little from column B. It was one of those things we, you know, we put a lot of focus of, of like learning how to kind of produce everything ourselves and, and really kind of being an outlet for like very kind of like synth oriented eighties pop stuff that we really love to listen to. Um, and as time went on, we, Andy and I, uh, the singer, um, we were writing a bunch of songs and they kind of just didn't feel like that vibe anymore. And we weren't really sure what they were. Um, and then as time went on, we were like, these just feel like Young Rising Sun songs. And we're like, maybe, maybe that's like where we get back into. Um, and we kind of just really leaned into it and, and realized we were just having so much fun writing those songs. And it kind of like was freeing in a way. And I think especially too, in the past, you know, we were on, um, Interscope records and you know when you're on a label like that there's a lot of like you're on an email and you're like hey we want to put this song out and there's like 85 people on the email you've never met before so it's like a very strange thing um (laughs) and and this was nice because we actually had kind of a chance to be like cool we're just going to do all this ourselves and this is like what is naturally coming out of us and it feels like young rising suns and there's no one kind of telling us hey do this try this um especially in quarantine so uh yeah, it's just kind of like a natural progression. And, and we were like, it just felt good. It felt right. So we decided this was the move. Yeah, I, I think it's great. And, you know, in doing some research, you know, I realized you guys had a pretty longstanding relationship with, uh, with Interscope for a while. Uh, you know, you put out quite a music, you know, through that and, and through that, through the, you know, the dirty canvas imprint and, uh, 
you know, now you guys are really doing it all yourselves. So, you know, I guess the big question is your relationship with Interscope, did you feel, you know, not to, you know, say anything disparaging at all, but like, did you feel that they were really trying to kind of micromanage what the band was? And now you feel a little bit more free and unshackled, as they say, or, uh, or was it really just to put yourselves in a position where you could do this all on your own? You know, what was the, the impetus that kind of fueled that change for you guys? For sure. Yeah. It, you know, I, I'm not going to sit here and malign them. They they were awesome. They really did a lot of great things for us. Um, but I think it, especially in like the alternative rock, like lane, um, I'm not sure major labels in particular really have like a, their, their focus is not so much, uh, you know, building a brand and, and kind of growing things organically. It's more just kind of like, they're going to throw things at radio and, and whatever goes is what they're going to focus on. And I, and I totally understand that that's kind of just the business of, of music. Um, unfortunately, and we just kind of felt like we were getting, things were getting a little bit stagnant. Um, it wasn't really the right, like fit for us. We love them. We love the people. It just, it just didn't really seem like it made too much sense. And it, they were actually pretty great in the sense where like, you hear a lot of horror stories from major labels in particular, where, you know, they micromanage, they're like, do this, do that, do this, do that. Um, we're always kind of like <laughs> the, everyone in our band is very like, uh, and our manager has to kind of manage us in this sense. We're very impulsive and we're just like, let's just drop a song tonight and see what happens. Like, and, and they were like, okay, let's not do that. Um, <laughs> and there was like a lot of that stuff, but it was, it was good. Like they were very good for us. It was a really good thing, but I think it kind of just had met its natural end. And we were like, Hey, we're going to, we're going to part ways. Um, and it was a very like amicable type, like split from them. Um, and then we were with dirty canvas, the imprint for a while. And that was kind of the exact same thing. We just, we started producing a lot of things on our own and we're like, this is definitely like the direction we want to go and, and like not really have anyone else like in, in our corner. And I think a lot of it was just like, we wanted to kind of bet on ourselves and see how much we could do and, and really test and push ourselves. So yeah, it's, it's been cool. Yeah. Excellent. And, um, I just so, want to jump in here, Tom. So like, Oh, go ahead. Yeah. Early on, like when, Young Rising Sons is in like your early stages. You guys got signed pretty quickly. So like, what was that like to like jump right into it going on a major label? It was, it was crazy. It was one of those things. Um, cause all of us do we cause we'd all played together in different variations of bands, uh, for forever. Um, it was me and, and Andy and then, uh, our bass player, Julian and I, we've been in bands together since like we were like 16. Um, so we'd all like played together before and we all were like, you know, we want to do this as a career and, and like it just, you know, we had different bands, different band members, stuff like that. And it never really like totally clicked, but we always knew we wanted to play together. Um, so then we started Young Rising Sons and things kind of happened super quick. And it was like, we literally like wrote this song in my parents' basement and then uh, like released it, made a video with our friend and then, within a week it had like 150,000 plays and, and like every major label was reaching out to us. So it was a very, just like, we were like, something is wrong. And I feel like these people are contacting us and it's like probably just a glitch on YouTube or something. <laughs> like we were all like, this can't be right. Um, 
So it was really cool. It was awesome. And, and we just like, it took us from just being like a local band and in, in like my parents' basement to being able to have this like amplified scope where we can go out and start touring and start doing all the things that we've always wanted to do. So it was, it was very shocking. I had to quit. I worked at a grocery store and uh, was like, Hey, so I have to leave for like tour tomorrow. <laughs> and they were like, cool. So like, you'll, you'll be back like after the weekend. I was like, no, like I'm gone forever. And like, it was just a very strange, strange situation, but it was really, it was amazing. And it was like really for us a, a life changing moment. And we're so like thankful that things worked out in that manner. Cause it's allowed us to have a career and to, to do this and do the thing we love the most. So are we talking like hitting the road in a bus to start? Uh, no, no, oh, okay. no. And, and that's <laughs> that going to say like, that, that I'll would be like, leave- really pampered we paid and our not... dues. I, <laughs> yeah i promise we paid our dues it was one of those things because like i said we had been multiple variations in the same band like we have played shows to three people we have toured in a crappy ford line that broke down in the middle of the winter in illinois like we've we've done all that stuff um it, it's a there's a lot of behind the scenes i think like work in different variations of bands but all of us have been in up to that point um and then for whatever reason, the chemistry just kind of worked on on this variation of this band when it started. And, and we haven't really looked back since. And even then, we still like refused. One of our, our manager especially was like so tempered and was just like, you guys are not allowed to have a bus at all because when you do, then you're not going to want to go back to a van. And I guarantee you there's going to be times you're going to have to be in a van. So we just like always kind of stuck it out unless we were doing and like we had one headline tour where we split a bus with with another band and and that was it but uh and then we never wanted to go back and he was right so we were the i i (laughs) i thanked him for that no honestly we love the van the van's the best move because you get to actually like explore instead of just like be stuck on the bus yeah yeah exactly um so i have a question about you know you guys working with with shep goodman uh you know because he's got a a laundry list of artists he's worked with. And it's really interesting to see um, how diverse his, is, you know, kind of base of, of who he's worked with. I mean, so, you know, he, you're talking about Mandy Moore, and LFO and like, you know, all these pop artists, but he's also worked with, you know, some of our favorites in the pop punk realm, like, you know, four years strong. He's worked with Bayside. Um, so what was the experience like, you know, collaborating and working with, with him, um, you know, when you kind of, uh, I guess that was in like 2014 when, when you were kind of starting out. Yeah, yeah. Um, it was awesome. I love, I genuinely like Shep is one of my favorite people that I've ever met in my life. And he, he was also like very much, um, the catalyst in like helping us find our sound and, and really, cause you know, for, like I said, for years we, we had other bands, other sounds kind of work through stuff. And Shep kind of just like sat down with us. He, he, I think first of all, he saw us and, and was just like, I, he saw a lot of potential in us and, and took a chance on us when no one else would in the first place. Um, and then kind of like sat us down and was like, look, this is what you guys are great at. And we need to really try and capture this. So working with him was amazing. Love that. And he really kind of guided us through, um, so many obstacles and so many steps and, and really like, I don't know, was, was amazing for us. Um, I can't say enough good things about him. Also, he's like the weirdest, most eclectic guy you'll ever meet. Like he's, uh, was late to his session one time because he had, uh, had to go to a soil class. Like he was learning how to farm. Like he's just, he's the best. He's the weirdest guy in the world in like the best way possible. 
Um, I don't know. And it was really cool. Sorry, go on. No, no, I was just saying, I was literally going to say, I don't know why I'm making this connection in my head, but I'm thinking of, of him just like, uh, like uh, Diddy's character in, in Always Sunny in Philadelphia. I don't know if you, you were, where is Dr. Jinx yeah. and he was just like yeah. spraying chemicals on people and playing bass. I don't know why I'm making this connection in my head. A, a thousand percent. Yeah, it is. <laughs> he is. I, I love that guy. Like he's uh, just so, so out there, but I think it's also cool because he's very disarming and kind of lets you be yourself. And, and um, for us, it was really cool because it, you know, like you said, he worked with so many awesome bands and artists and stuff like that. Uh, and the first time we walked in the room, like it was, you know, normal circumstances, you're just like, this is super weird and awkward. And this guy has like done so many cool things. And like, he just was so cool and down to earth. And, and I like, it really, it really kind of helped us get that first step and, and like, be like, okay, yeah, we're, we're like a real band and we can do this. And it was, it was really helpful to us. Awesome. And, uh, so one, one last question, then we'll, uh, it's actually a pretty good transitional question here. So, you know, you've got, high that that premieres you know it's kind of your debut single and i mean that thing just takes off like like wildfire um i, I know it lands on you know a bunch of different you know uh, commercials and all this stuff but one of the places it, it ends up landing uh is it was featured uh in the nhl awards uh so i'm just kind of interested how did that how did that approach happen you know how did, did the nhl reach out to you did their like publicity teams reach out to you how did that end up coming to be and what was that experience like like you know having music that you created i mean you know freaking nhl awards yeah it was it was really cool i uh andy the singer of our band as well is like a massive massive hockey fan um i think honestly it was something that uh interscope helped facilitate but we just received an email and it was like hey nhl reached out to to them and was and they were looking for a song um and they had sent i guess like a few songs over and nhl had selected that as one of them and uh it, it, we were like they were like do you want to do this and we're like are you, are you kidding me absolutely we want to do this um <laughs> and it was like such a cool kind of surreal moment and it, I, we had heard it too like the same week uh i was watching a caps game on tv and in like the background i was like man that song sounds really familiar like playing in arena and it was it was high and i was like holy shit this is crazy so it was like those those are those moments it's like uh that movie was it uh oh my god i can't remember but they're like all in the car and they they hear their song on the radio for the first time having a brain fart on the on the movie but it was like that and like andy and i were like screaming and like we like put on our hockey jerseys and we're like going nuts it was like it was just a really, really surreal, cool moment for us. And, and one of those things that was like super humbling and exciting to kind of have those worlds uh, collide for us. Yeah, man. And, and that's like the territory that comes with having a hit single. Like I guarantee, like, I feel like a way to gauge a hit single is like, if I played the song for my mom, would she like recognize the song? Like, has she heard it? And I feel like if I played this, you you know, high for my mom, she'd be like, yeah, I've heard that song before. <laughs> like that's, that's that's how that's like so cool it's so funny because i was talking to dan from joy wave and like yeah no joke back when joy wave was was the hoodies like their project before joy wave we booked them to play the college i was at and like you know i i kind of i, I wouldn't say i'm friends with them but like you know i i know know them and like i got married all these years later and my mother-in-law was like hey like 
I want to come out to this song. It's like by Big Data and Joy Wave. It's called Dangerous. And I was like, wait, what? <laughs> I was like, what? <laughs> How do you even know that song? And like, I kind of know, know those people. <laughs> That's amazing. I love that. Also, Dan, uh, we toured with Joy Wave um, and the Kooks. And Dan, like him and I, we met and he was wearing a, he was wearing like a, he's a huge Sabres fan and was wearing a, like a Sabres something or I, I don't even recall. And I was like, Oh my God, are you a hockey fan? He was like, yeah. Who do you like? I was like, cat. And he was, I was like, you like Sabres? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, did we just become best friends? Like it was like, it was like stepbrothers. It was so exciting. And the whole tour we were, I was like around, um, I think 2015, it was like right during playoffs too. So we were watching like every cats, I think it was cats Rangers is the series. Uh, we were watching like every game together backstage before we went out. It was, it was, it was awesome to like tour with a hockey fan like that. It was, I love that guy. I love that band so much. Absolutely. Yeah. And shout out to the hoodies too. Cause the hoodies were awesome as well. So um, I guess let's, let's make that transition then and, and talk some hockey. So, you know, as I was looking up your bio, you guys are from Red Bank, New Jersey. So like, yeah, I'm trying to to make the the sense of this. Like, there's so many closer teams than the Washington Capitals. Like, how did that happen? <laughs> so, all right, uh, to give you background in general, my uh, my uncle is the president uh, of hockey operations for the Washington Capitals, and uh, my dad, when he was alive, was a scout for them, and my cousin is the head of player personnel. So, like. Since I was a kid, it was basically just be a Capitals fan or you're not allowed in the family. Um, so that was instilled in me from a young age. Uh, but my family is like, if you ever look it up, like it's, you know, you go to Islanders games in, in the Coliseum um, and it literally those banners, Patrick division champions, it, that is my family. So we're like kind of spread out. They've been multiple different teams, uh, from the Rangers to the Bruins to, uh, the Penguins. Um, but the caps were like my closest kind of sphere of influence because it was my, my dad working for the team and his brother. So, um, yeah, like diehard caps fan since I was able to pick up a hockey stick. So was your dad like commuting? Cause that's, that's like um, hours long, right? Yeah. Yeah. So he did a lot of, uh, it was like amateur scouting stuff. So he was able to kind of go, um, it, it was more like travel based going to like, you know, OHL games, WHL games, stuff like that. Uh, and, and, um, yeah, it, it was kind of a, like, kind of a cool, I, it was funny too. Cause I kind of grew up like, uh, be like, yeah, like, isn't like this, when you go to a hockey game, it's just like, you just go to where your family works, right? That's normal. And like, kind of took me a while. Cause my family is just so like involved from a young age, um, that it always kind of was like confused. I was like, this is not, people don't do this all the time. It's very confusing. <laughs> so it was really cool for me. I grew up very, very lucky to kind of be surrounded by it in that, in that manner. Now, does your dad like have his name stamped on like scouting someone that like turned out to be an absolute superstar? I, one of, one of, uh, my, actually this one's just really funny and my dad, uh, he'll never admit it, but he actually didn't, uh, he didn't love John Carlson when he was an amateur, which is hilarious because he's now like the capital, like number one defenseman. Um, and I remember him, I was like younger and he was like, 
yeah, you know, they, they seem really, the other scouts seem really high in this guy. I don't really get it. I don't think it's supposed to be like, I don't think he's that great. Like, I don't think he should, we should draft him. And, and he wound up being like an absolute stud. So uh, I'm just going to, I'm just going to roast my dad and say he was horribly <laughs> wrong on so that one. Wrong. <laughs> yeah, just so wrong. And that's kind of the crazy thing about hockey scouting, I think, too, is that like you, it, they're scouting literal kids. It's like by the time they get in the NHL, it's a whole different ball game. So, yeah. That's awesome. That, that's a great story for sure. And yeah, it's, it's, and uh, it really is like, you know, especially when you're drafting guys in like the fourth or fifth rounds of the NHL draft, like you have no idea what you're getting. And like, uh, you know, I think that's what also makes hockey just like one of my favorite sports. And, and actually my favorite sport is the fact that like there can be fifth round and like, you know, guys that are drafted so late in the draft that turn out to be like legit superstars in the NHL where like, yeah, other sports have that every once in a while. It's not so common. I definitely agree. I think just, yeah, the, the, I guess for lack of a better term, the, the parody of it all is, is insane that you can have a guy like, uh, what was Lundqvist like a seventh round pick or something like that? Like you have I'm a guy sure like Zetterberg was pretty late too. Right. With or even some guys were like, undrafted that wind up coming in being like just absolute studs and it's like kind of crazy uh i don't know it's fun it's a total crapshoot and that's what makes it exciting because you have no idea what what to expect out of some of these guys now i guess like it's really hard to talk about the capitals and especially like how involved your family is without talking barry trotz like was was that tough for you to, to watch him leave like after finally bringing the cup home yeah, for sure. It's one of those things too. I think it's it's still uh, for a lot of Cavs fans a sore subject where they're you know like oh they should have paid him should have paid him. But I I think um, the team and Barry previous to that uh, really kind of felt like they were ready to go separate ways because he had been there for a while. Really up until they won the cup, they didn't see too much playoff success stuff like that. Um, and I think they both kind of felt like it was time for a change. But it it still sucked to see him go. Um, cause he's, you know, he's the guy that brought them their first cup and he's an amazing coach. And, and I think, uh, beyond that, he's, he's an amazing person. Like he's just a really like great guy. He always took the time for, uh, his players for, for like community outreach stuff. And, and I think that's something that should not be overlooked as well. Oh yeah, for sure. So you, you also were, were saying how, you know, the Patrick division that, yeah, the Islanders were in was named after you know family members so like is that something that like you have like a bunch of like memorabilia around the house like from from those days and like you know that's like the coolest thing ever <laughs> yeah i know right it, no so it's it's one of those things uh i i feel like i didn't i didn't think it was cool until i got like till i grew up when i was younger i kind of was like yeah whatever who cares um, and the older I got was like, man, I really should have kept some of those things that were like laying around the house and my, my grandparents, uh, like basement. Um, but it's, it's cool. Yeah. Like going back to, um, like my great grandfather, Lester was, he played, he was a, like a GM for the Rangers. He played goalie for the Rangers for a single game in the playoffs. Like there's some really crazy stories about my family that. Uh, have been passed down. So beyond like the memorabilia, it's more just like hearing these 
tales and you're like, how, how is this a thing that actually happened? So it's really cool. And it's very, I'm very fortunate to be, um, like to just have grown up in such a rich hockey history like that. I wish I had like a banner or something. I don't, I don't have anything like that. It's kind of, kind of depressing. I think the coolest thing I do have is, um, my, my grandfather, uh, Muzz, who played for the Rangers. I have his, his 1940s Stanley cup ring, which is like definitely the coolest piece of memorabilia I have straight up. I'd say that's pretty freaking cool. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, that one, I that mean, one, but- but you also you also have the have the trophy, right? And <clears throat> yes. I was waiting for a good time to bring this up. And this is just such a cool story. Um, you know, so for our listeners who who may not have come across uh, you know, the article about it, um, so you know, you guys in twenty sixteen you released Undefeatable, you know, single undefeatable, and uh in it is this just like kind of gnarly old looking trophy that you found just hanging out in your basement and then uh turns out that this trophy is like from like the European ice ice hockey tour and like all of these professional teams ended up like playing for it overseas and it so it's like a a Swiss world championship and it's it's there's all this intrigue about it so I know you talked about it a bunch but if you could just give us some insight on you know what that trophy meant and how you ended ended up finding it and how you were using it as a kid as like a imprint stanley cup i i just i think it's such a cool story <laughs> yeah. yeah so it it uh it was just like in this musty old case basically sitting in in our basement um but it was like an actual european challenge cup where i guess they went and they did um it was like an exhibition style tournament between the rangers and the boston bruins um and they went over there and like played and the rangers wound up winning uh and my my grandfather was able to to just keep the cup at the end of it basically um and yeah we we would like play like street hockey and roller hockey and like you know score and then parade it around like it was the stanley cup and and like <laughs> just yeah having no idea kind of the history in our hands um yeah and it's, it's like a really cool thing it's still there at my at my mom's house just like just kind of chilling uh we got to use it obviously for undefeatable and it kind of felt like an appropriate um appropriate kind of prop to use uh and then they wound up using that song uh in the i think it was the 2017 like playoff one of the playoff videos they used it for the penguins which is a huge bummer uh <laughs> but you know they still use it and i was stoked about that so yeah it, it was it's a really kind of cool piece of like odd nhl history which is awesome to be able to have that i can send you guys a photo of it too oh yeah we definitely I I checked out but <laughs> We love it. And and the other cool thing that, you know, I, I found out I was doing a little bit of research about this is the uh so that particular like you know exhibition cup that they were doing over in Europe, um, it's kind of how Bobby Hull, you know, Brett Hull's Hull's dad uh, father kind of came to prominence as a player. Uh, you know, he like he got the opportunity to play after I guess one of the Rangers, I think, wasn't able to dress, and that kind of like jump started his career into like this Hall of Fame career. So uh, I, I just think that's, that's super cool. And of course, you know, Brett Hull having that opportunity, uh, you know, being, you know, obviously just as, as good, if not better, uh, is just super cool. So there's so many in, intertwining stories. I just lo- love to hear it, man. Yeah. It's, it's that, that's actually, it's funny because there's so many stories that kind of are, are involved in that, that that one I straight up didn't even know. And I feel like, uh, or I did. And it's, it slipped my memory at this point, but that's, that's so cool to me. I love that. 
Oh man, absolutely. It's uh, I people forget sometimes that you know hockey is is an old sport. I mean, you know, it dates back to you know the twenties and the thirties, and it just has so much rich rich history. And it's uh, it is really cool to kind of dig back and go and see, or at least read about all this history and the fact that you have in your possession, you know, a piece of history is uh, is is pretty rad. You know, gotta love it. Hell yeah. <laughs> I'm, very, I'm very surprised that the NHL hasn't come like knocking down your door trying to get that to put it in or like, like the, the hockey hall. Thing. Hall yeah, that's yeah, what I mean. Exactly. I I'm I'm waiting for I know there like a few a few pieces here and there we have like my family uh has donated to the Hall of Fame um from like skates to gloves that that were like worn by my great grandfather and grandfather and stuff like that. But um yeah, I don't know. I they even my uh my He's, I guess, technically my cousin, but he's older, so I always called him my uncle. My uncle Craig um, got inducted to the Hockey Hall of Fame, um, and and I think he like donated some stuff as well. So I'm like kind of waiting for it. I'll, this, I'll be like, this is the closest thing I'll ever come to be in the Hockey Hall of Fame is donating something that my family owned at least. I'll like scratch my name in there somewhere and, and throw it in. <laughs> <laughs> Love it. So, um, you know. I, I guess let's talk about that cup run, especially since like your family is so involved with the team. Like, were you like able to attend some of the, the like the celebrations for the, the caps winning the cup? So afterwards I did, uh, cause my uncle and, and my cousin both had like their day with the cup, uh, which was super cool. So we got to go down, um, and hang and like celebrate and, and, drink some beers out of the cup. And it was a really, for me, it was awesome because, um, you know, I, I grew up in a family that is like very involved in the NHL and multiple family members had won the cup, but that was my first experience ever really being up close to it. Um, and like being able to see my, my uncle Craig's name on there and my, my great grandfather and my grandfather's names all engraved. in there was a really, really cool moment for me. Um, and I mean, who doesn't like want a story where they got to drink Budweiser out of the Stanley <laughs> cup. So that's always Seriously. fun. <laughs> um, but yeah, I didn't go to any of the games. I was one of those things where like they were on a roll and I was like, I'm, I'm not going to, I'm not going to mess this up by like, I I'm like way too superstitious. I don't know if you guys are, we're like, I'll like sit in the same spot on the couch and refuse to move anywhere wearing the same Jersey when things are going well. Um, so I was like, I'm not going to game. I'm not going to ruin this. Like if I go, they'll lose. Like I was so concerned. Cause I was like, this, this feels like the year and it has to happen. Cause they were just, they were just magic. Yeah. Maybe I should start being superstitious because I'm not. And look what it's gotten me. <laughs> like, <laughs> so maybe no, I should I'm, start doing that. Y'all have been crushing it though. I mean, between like last year, they, they, I mean, I know it was a strange year, but they made the caps look just like a peewee team. It was insane. Yeah. You know, I, I think the Islanders needed that break at that time. Like when the season ended in March, like they were just, they were skidding and sliding and they just were not looking like a Barry Trotz team. And I think it's just, you know, some key, like, glue guys were injured. And then, like, once everyone got healthy again, they, they just were able to pick up, like, at the beginning of the season when we were on, like, a 17-game point streak and, like, just killing it. So, yeah, it was, it was 
cool to see them make it back to the Eastern Conference Finals because, you know, the only other time in my lifetime was 1993. So it's been a while. It's been a while. But, you know, I, I also like as an Islander fan of like having so many years of misery. I wouldn't want them to win the cup in like these circumstances. I I totally get that. I feel like too, um, especially when there's rivalries involved, it's one of those things where like, if you win it, then you have to hear Rangers fans being like, well, yeah, there was yeah. the COVID cup. Yeah. And, and that is, and especially me, like I, I grew up in New Jersey. I live in Brooklyn now. I'm constantly surrounded by the enemy. Um, so I totally understand being like, God, God damn it. Like yeah. this is the year it happens. Really? Yeah. You always want it. You want to win obviously, but it would be frustrating. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, I, I think like some of the charm of the Islanders is like, they don't play in a big market. Like it's New York, but it's also long Island, which is like, yeah. it, it's, it's the suburbs where there's not like yeah. so many professional teams that play in the middle of the suburbs. So, like, part of the charm is the fact that, like, when they they had, like, their Stanley Cup parades, they're, like, having them on Henstead Turnpike, which is, like, right <laughs> yeah. down, like, you know, like, strip mall after strip mall. And it's just, like, so bizarre when you see, like, some of these other teams when they have their parades. Like, you know, they're in the middle of a big city. <laughs> so, right. You know, yeah, that I, is really I, true, actually. I would just, like, love to to be able to experience, like, just a parade in my lifetime. And even though Tom and I are, are no longer on Long Island, that's definitely something I would make my way back home for. Oh yeah. Honestly, my, my biggest regret was not going to the parade, uh, for the cap winning the cup. It was, I was like, Oh, I'll be down there afterwards. I'll, I'll like, I'll get to see the cup and, and all that. But it, it, I, that was just, I watched the videos afterwards. and was like, I, I fucked up so bad by yeah, not dude, being, you could have been partying with Ovi. <laughs> Like you messed yeah, up. Yeah, I, I truly blew it, <laughs> yeah, and, and I, I will. I'm like, please win a cup again when there's not a global pandemic. Please, I gotta, I gotta make up for the last one. <laughs> oh man. So I do just kind of have a question because this is this is just always kind of on my mind. You know, clearly there's the crossover between guys in bands who love hockey, but we haven't really seen the opposite where like guys who play hockey are into alternative music and i guess it's because like you know alternative music is a little harder for people to get access to like you actually have to be involved in the scene and like it's kind of like word of mouth like one band leads to the next and like you have to kind of put in time to discover new music but like having a hit song obviously gets you out to the masses so like have you had any like hockey players come to any of your shows and be like huge fans man we we really haven't i think our our singer andy uh his favorite thing to do is always like whatever city we're in he'll just leave uh a couple like random nhl players names on our guest list just in case um i love that but it never it's never worked out it's yeah it's one of those th- our tour manager always looks at it he's like is this what is is this say matthew barzell what is that, <laughs> what is who is this and we're like i don't know man it's crazy um <laughs> but no we really we unfortunately haven't it's one of those things that like we would totally geek out like we we played shows like man we we toured with um the 1975 who were in, an incredible incredible band um 
and like you know they were they were blowing up the time and like like taylor swift came to one of the shows stuff like that and like i didn't i just didn't care but if like if i went to a show and like i don't know austin matthews is there i would totally geek out like it's one of those things that i that's that's my one of my goals one day to get hockey players to to love our band and it's it just proves impossible because it feels like all of them just like strictly love country music. I don't know what's going on there. Yeah. They, they don't (laughs) like the best music, but like, it was just so funny when they were showing all the footage of like the players go into the bubble. Did you see like so many players were carrying like guitars and like ready to rock out in the bubble. And it's like, but what are you playing? Like what songs are you really playing? (laughs) Smoke on the water. Yeah, no, seriously. Like, like, what is what is going on there? Yeah. <laughs> Man, I I have I have no idea. I rem- you know I, we've talked about it a couple of times before, but they did this like, you know how like uh, at at the arenas like they pump in like you know like nonsense time fillers where they like you know they're like we're sitting down with Cal Clutterbuck and asking him what his favorite ice cream flavor is, you know, like that kind of bullshit. And um, <laughs> they had one where it was like. They'd interviewed like maybe eight or nine Islanders about like what their favorite music was. And man, it was bad. They were just like, Oh God, they were all like Swedish house mafia or like, like Zed featuring like Zed and like <laughs> all this just terrible <laughs> music. And I think it, like, it is, you, no, you see a lot ahead, of man. like, I'm sorry. Yeah. <laughs> sorry. Well, it's good. I mean, you see a lot of like the Europeans, like they, fucking love like house music techno yeah. stuff which is cool like that's that's what they're into that's what they're into it's like that and then you have guys like matthew shane who's like a matt like he literally like signed with nashville because he loves country music so much like it's <laughs> it's very odd yeah there is like a there is not really a niche for players who are into like alternative music and you don't really see that unfortunately no not so much not so much you wish you did you now wish you did. yeah I do want to now just kind of bring this back to to some more music talk because um, I'm I'm just curious and you know um, you know growing up in in Red Bank you, you're in the you know kind of like the the tri-state area and you have Asbury Lanes that's not too far from there was that like your your stomping grounds? Yeah, definitely. Uh... Asbury Lanes, it has since been renovated, but we used to go there when we were like not 21 um, because you <laughs> could drink like you were 21. And that was our favorite place. But also there was so much cool music. Um, there was always like punk shows going on, a um, lot of pop punk stuff like that. That place was the best. And they've now since renovated it. Um, and it's it's a completely different vibe, but it's it's a beautiful venue now. Um, and it's the bowling alley is now like reduced to four alleys. Whereas in the past, like you literally just played on top of the bowling alley. Um, but yeah, that was an awesome place. I lived in Asbury for a few years as well, even though I was uh, originally from Red Bank. So, um, that place is like very near and dear to my heart. love it there. Yeah. So uh, on that point, I'd, I'd really just love to kind of hear a little bit more going further back. So what really got you into, into music, you know, what got you into playing playing drums and all that kind of stuff you know did you have a a favorite band or a favorite drummer growing up that like you just idolized and wanted to play all of his you know his cool licks and stuff like how how did you come to love this yeah it's funny my uh like some of my earliest memories was was my dad he would always uh 
he had this like old like giant record player that he had like saved up his money when he was in college and bought and just kept it forever. I don't, I don't remember like what the brand was, but he would always play uh, a lot of like the Temptations and Queen records and stuff like that. And I remember always being like, oh, this is like really cool. He would put on Queen records and put me at the piano and just kind of be like, hopefully he figures this out. Um, <laughs> and it actually it actually did kind of help me like figure out like melody. Like I started matching notes at a young age and he was like, OK, he's going to play music. Um, cause he was just such a big music lover. And then, uh, I had a friend that like also was into music and God, we were in like sixth grade. Um, and he was like, Hey, you got to check out this band Blink-182. And I was like, Oh, cool. And that like made me just dive into pop punk music in general. And obviously Travis Barker was like one of my idols as a drummer. Um, so I, I would just like, every time I, I had an opportunity to go, uh, buy any like albums anywhere which is a very old timey sentence now unfortunately um but i would just go and buy like every blink album and then any recommended album that was similar and and like really dive into trying to drum on that stuff and i remember begging my parents to buy me a drum set and my dad was like don't you want to play something not so loud um <laughs> but i got they they finally caved and bought it for me and i it was like i sat down and and i had like watched so many like videos on our 56k dial-up modem uh <laughs> which is also a very old-timey sentence that i would wait like three days for it to download and like would watch so many videos of travis barker drumming that i like i was like i think i could do this and i just sat down i was able to kind of play the drums my first time and kind of the rest is history i went um and like kind of branched out from there listening to a ton of different things and trying to emulate it as much as possible to learn and absorb as much as i could as a drummer awesome now do you remember uh like your first you know talk about like blink 182 and pop punk do you remember your first pop punk show that you ever got a chance to see where was it who played and like what kind of effect did it have on you oh man um this one is this is tough. I remember seeing, uh, not, I guess not pop punk. They were a ska band. Do you remember that band catch 22? Hell yeah. I remember catch. 22. Okay. Yeah. I remember seeing them at, uh, I want to say it was Birch Hill was the venue in New Jersey, which is no longer there. And my, it was the same friend that showed me that his dad would like drive us all over the place, to all these different shows all the time. <laughs> um, and, and I remember seeing them and being like, wow, this is, this is amazing. And I remember seeing, um, we would also go to the Middletown Knights of Columbus for like just local shows all the time. And it would be like, you know, friends bands playing stuff like that. And we kind of had a really, a really healthy music scene in, in New Jersey in general, where, um, we would like, we were just kids throwing shows and they would be like, yeah, cool. Go nuts. Like that just be out of here by 11 PM. And, and it was like, it was really cool. We, we, it allowed us to kind of like grow and, and like be, absolutely terrible at music uh which is a good first step to being kind of okay at music and that was like kind of the building block for everything which was really cool now did you instantly like start to gravitate towards playing indie music and like indie rock uh, so uh, kind of i mean a lot of it was like very it's funny it was a lot of like pop punk stuff um and then i i got really interested in like the technical aspect of a lot of drumming um started getting like very i started taking lessons and started learning about like odd time signatures and and like different feels uh different styles so i then kind of got very into 
like metal and hardcore music for a while. Um, and then I think like one day my brain was just like, you gotta, you gotta relax with this. It's like, it was too, it was too much. And I wanted to hear things that were more melodic. Um, and I started searching for things and it's funny cause, uh, I, you messaged me about, uh, as tall as lions. And that, that was an album I heard Las Cadio, um, and was like, wow, this is, you could do this in music. Like it, it, it was kind of a good, like in between for like, it's not so up tempo all the time and like in your face with pop punk music. And obviously it's not so like aggressive and dramatic as, uh, as metal music. And, and I was like, cool, this is, this is my lane. Like, I love this. Um, and it kind of helped me like open me up to a whole bunch of new bands like that. Yeah, and it's crazy to see, like, you know, probably since like the like 2010 to 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 now that like indie music has become like so popular, and like you're hearing indie music on you know top 40 radio, whereas like when As Tall as Lions was coming up, it wasn't like that. Like pop punk was kind of mainstream, so. You know, it makes you wonder, like, if As Tall as Lines would have came, like, come out now, if they would be like massive, like the nineteen seventy five. Seriously, yeah. I, I mean, so much of music too is is just about timing. It's really funny. Like, I, our our song High when it came out, I think it was just the right time for a song like that, um, especially because of the way like Andy's voice sounds and uh, that that song. Uh, we are young. My fun had like just come out previous to that. And they kind of have like a similar voice. And like, I always, I always felt that it maybe if that song hadn't been such a hit, maybe our song wouldn't have been received the same way because it was something that was like, Oh, this is like kind of in that lane. And, and it kind of helped pave the way as well. It's really funny the the psychology of music and kind of how um, timing is extremely important in, in just any release. Yeah. And it's funny that you mentioned that you mentioned fun, you know, because they were essentially born out of that band, the format who like as tall as lions kind of pervaded out of that space where in the two thousands and mid two thousands, there was so much, you know, pop punk and punk rock. And then there were these indie bands that were able to jump out of the space and be really, like really very, I guess the best word I'm I'm looking for is, is approachable. You, just like you said, like, you know, it's not quite in one direction. It, it kind of, you get the rock sensibilities, you get the indie sensibilities out of it. So those bands, I feel like really kind of could pave the way for this music to be more, more sellable, essentially. You know what I'm saying? Definitely. It's, it's actually funny you say that because after I discovered It's Tall Lions, one of the first bands I discovered after that was The Format. And yeah. I remember um, listening through that, I mean, like, this this is my shit. I love this. <laughs> and and it, like, really informed a lot of, like, where I went with um, my own songwriting and, and then um, kind of, like, finding like-minded people to write with that were in the, in the same lane as well. And I still jumped around, too. Like, I, I played in um bands that sounded like that and then played in bands that were like very pop punk at the same time and and mm-hmm. kind of like i hit a point where i was like no i think i like this one a little bit better and and for as far as like being a songwriter as a drummer it's funny i love playing pop punk probably the most um but as far as like songwriting and really being able to kind of like get 
my melodies across and and like lyrics that I want to work with. Uh, indie music was like more my my lane and my natural ability. So um, yeah, I don't know. Music's fun, man. <laughs> now it just also made me think, like you know, in the early two thousands, you could go to a pop punk show and a band like As Tall as Lions could be on the bill and like pop punk fans would just kind of like embrace them. Like, you know, back in the day there was like the absolute absolute punk.net. And like even though it was like a punk driven website, they still would like release news stories on bands like May and Copeland and As Tall as Lions. And like those kinds of bands, those indie bands, they really were like indie bands, would be on any pop punk show that Tom and I would go to on Long Island. But like, it's not really the same where like indie bands are taking out pop punk bands. Like, I don't see that often, or maybe I'm just not really in that indie world. But do you, do you ever notice that? Like sometimes like the 1975 taking out like a knuckle puck or, (laughs) you know, like a pop punk Mm -hmm. band. Yeah, no, I, I, I actually totally agree with that. It's it's kind of odd. I feel like um, mu- like just music scenes in general don't have that like I don't I don't know the best way to describe it. Like I feel like they used to embrace a lot more and, and they were more open. Where you're just kind of like, okay, this is like if they're not complete opposite ends of the spectrum. Like it's, there's not so much polarity. So like yeah, let's just throw them on a show and and this will be really cool and eclectic and. You're not seeing it as much now. Um, I feel like things are very like kind of split up by genre as far as touring goes. Uh, but then on the other end of the spectrum, you have like streaming and stuff like that, where like you listen to a playlist and and it's like, you know, an alternative song is also very much a pop song, is also very much an indie song. It's like you kind of have those genres blend a little bit more. So it's it is kind of odd. In touring, yeah, you see so much of just like kind of the same like stick to your own little little like pocket sonically and, and that's it and it's it, it would actually be cool to see more like indie bands go out pop, pop punk bands and see more like even pop artists bring out rock bands and stuff like that as well yeah and i don't know you know i'm looking here and you went out on tour with halsey like i feel like she's the one that could do that like she could bring out like because she's clearly a bit a big pop punk fan like she could totally just break down the barriers and then just mix all the scenes. Yeah, she, she definitely, and it, and I will like to her credit, she absolutely has like with touring with us. Um, she brought out uh floor on a tour, uh, that band Laney as well. Like she really has embraced a lot of like alternative artists, rock artists, stuff like that, which is cool because you don't really see that happen, especially with someone like her, who is just such an, like an absolute, celebrity at this at this point um yeah it's cool you do see it sometimes too uh was it like demi lovato uh, like she embraces a lot of that stuff and it's kind of cool too you're seeing um guys like machine gun kelly which you know whether or not you love him or loathe him for for i know like a lot of people he gets a lot of grief from a lot of pop punk fans for being like this is not pop punk but yeah a lot um, of strong opinions is, about him but <laughs> Yeah. And, and, and like, I get it. I, I totally like, I'm, I don't know. I, but I think it's cool because he at least, uh, can provide some level of visibility, especially because he has an opportunity to bring out pop punk bands on tour with him and, and have this massive platform to support 
you know, bands that would otherwise maybe just get overlooked. Uh, and I think, I think that's something that he absolutely should do too. So I don't know. It's yeah, weird. I, I it's, hope, music is like, you know, he, he dropped that album that's like blowing up and it's being talked about all the time. And it's like, you know, obviously we're all in, you know, COVID lockdown where we're not being, being able to go to shows, but like once he goes out on that first tour, like who he brings out as his openers is going to be really kind of tell us a lot about him. Like, is he going to stick in his lane or is he going to be like, you know what, you know, there's these up and coming pop punk bands that I really dig that, you know, just need more ears because they're awesome. And like, you know, I, I hope that that's what he does. I, oh man, fingers crossed. Cause I do think too, it's like that, that visibility sometimes is all bands or artists need. It's like it, you see so many that are amazing and they just don't really get the ears that they deserve. Um, and especially for him, he can kind of help like people, he, it's very approachable to the mainstream. So I feel like it's one of those things that like, you know, people that don't typically listen to that style of music will hear him be like, Oh, this is actually kind of dope. And then like see a, a pop punk band that clearly inspired his music and be like, wow, this is super dope. And, and it's, I don't know. I think that that's really could be really cool. Absolutely. And, and I, I think that he, you know, him writing this crossover record, essentially, I, if you want to call it that, which some people have right. called it, I, I just think it's, it's cool. It, you know, it's always something that I think a lot of artists want to do, you know, if they have a, a, a feeling in them where they they want to write a specific kind of music, but you know, the specific kind of music that got them popular was in a certain vein. Like you look at like a guy like John Mayer, right? Like he's a great example. You know, John Mayer through and through is like a guy who loves the blues. He's really a blues guy. So, you know, he writes, you know, that first record room for squares, which is just, which is a pop record, but every record that he put out after that, he, you know, put a little bit more, you know, blues and a little bit more soul into it, you know, with every record, you know, until the last couple of records he he's been written are really more bluesy than they are pop. So you you have that capability to do that. Not only is that expressing, you know, the inner desire and working of how you like to write music, but it also exposes fans that you gained along the way to new types of music. So I think that's a really great thing. And I think that's something that I hope more artists do. Uh, you know, if, if they're writing music and they have a love for another type of music branch out, you know, even if it loses you a couple of fans along the way, it might gain you more fans and show your versatility and, and, and expose people to new types of music, which I, I think is a great thing. I agree a hundred percent. I think it's too, one of those things where like, I think people think they don't like certain styles of music until they hear the right artist or the right band that kind yeah. of does it the right way for them. And, and like an artist like that, like having that big platform can really like help them kind of find the right artist, find the right band, get them involved in a little bit more. It's, it's yeah, it's, it's, that's the way to do it for sure. Sure. Uh, so I have, I have one last question for you just that's piqued my curiosity a, a little bit. Um, so, you know, you guys have been, you know, playing for, for, you know, six or seven years at this, at this point, but you've never put out a full length record. So, you know, you've got a couple of EPs. Um, was that by choice or was it something that you just, you never felt that like putting out a complete full length was something you guys needed to do or 
I'm just curious of how that kind of happened and if it's just happenstance or if it's just like you really didn't want to write it, you know, like a comprehensive full length. So like just out of curiosity, want to know why? <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I totally get that. that that's a, a, also a question that our fans are like, what? What's up? What's going on here? Where's the <laughs> album? Um, so I totally get that. No, it, it's one of those things that I think we we had a and this is also like a a big thing for us that is is like important now moving forward um but we were signed to interscope and then we were on dirty canvas and it's kind of like those situations where we're like okay we'll put out a couple songs kind of get like things going do it the way that that they want to do it um and i think there was a lot of like turnover and like not really being sure like label wise what's going on stuff like that like leaving labels um and then we now are like in the clear we're producing everything ourselves we own all the masters like we're doing everything on our own um we have an intention to do it it's something we always wanted to do but it just kind of like timing wise wasn't really making sense um like contractually just didn't really make any sense so our game plan now is to um maybe there's a little rumor that we might be putting an album out sometime next year, but, uh, I don't know. I don't know if that's, you know, just the internet saying that or, or if that's, we'll see what happens. Um, we, we have been writing like a million songs. So we, we really, our main goal, like looking forward is to have, uh, a consistency. Cause a lot of it was like, you know, we were an interscope, put out, uh, a couple EPs, put out some singles, and then we left there. And whenever you leave a label, there's kind of like a, no man's land time period in between where you have to kind of like settle out all the things before you can release music again so it was one of those things like okay now is not the time to do an album and then we did it again and really okay now is not the time um so our main goal looking forward is like cool we want to have a consistent rollout plan so we want to have music um coming out pretty much like every month uh as much as possible and then uh hopefully also drop an album at some point uh, in 2021. So we'll see. Yeah, I don't know. No promises. But that's like our, our general game plan. And um, we've written so many songs in, in lockdown, especially. Um, Andy and I were just like kind of going nuts writing everything. So, uh, yeah, we're we're stoked to, to kind of like have a body of work and, and something that I think um, hopefully can can kind of define our band and our sound moving forward. All right, so I have the most important question of the whole interview. Is the Christmas Eve Classic still going on this year? Oh, man. It, it is. I don't think so. It really oh, seems bad. I know. It's been going on forever, and it's one of those things. It is. Yeah, I look forward to it every year, and for everyone listening, um, we've been doing this literally since I was a child, uh, and we rent the ice uh, at this place like pretty nearby. And it's a lot of, um, like my, my dad's buddies, uh, a lot of like their kids. And it's like Jim Dowd, uh, who used to play in the NHL comes, his kids come play. Um, we have, uh, our, our buddy, Tom Bernard, who, uh, is, you know, works for Sony pictures, classics. He'll come with like all of his friends. And it's like, just a really weird fun skate where everyone just the, the initial purpose of it was to get everyone out of the house so that like so moms could wrap presents when we were kids but all the dads would just go and basically get like blackout drunk and play hockey and then take that home. um 
And like everyone leave their cars in the parking lot because they get too drunk and have to get a, a taxi home. And it like, <laughs> and that that part of the tradition just stuck. Yeah, uh, and and yeah. So I think this year though we're we're like just with COVID and everything. I don't know. I was like, I might just like rent a sheet of ice, make sure whoever comes gets like tested before, uh, and just like, or I might just like go lay out in the snow and just chug chug a bunch of beers. I'm not really sure yet. Um, <laughs> But yeah, I'm not sure we're doing it. Unfortunately, we, I actually just had this debate today with like a lot of the guys who do it, just being like, "What are what are we doing?" And and so it's it's a touch and go subject right now. <laughs> yeah, maybe you got to do it like outdoors somewhere. Ooh, I think that's a great idea. Actually, there's an outdoor rink that we like all grew up playing on that might be ideal. Man, that's or just, that's, or just like hit a classic. Pond, you know? Well, the, I don't yeah, know if honestly, pond might some, be. It's is it that cold? Because my mom was saying it was like pretty nice the other day. It it's been yeah, it's been really mild here at least. Yeah. Uh, I'm well, I guess fortunately, but also probably unfortunately, as it's probably the result of who knows yeah. <laughs> climate change in general. But yeah, right. seventy degree days in December are not ideal. But um, yeah, I don't know. I, there are some outdoor rinks though that like have uh, good like compressor systems that they can chill the ice. That might be the move. We, it might be back on, guys. You just you just kind of opened up a door I didn't even think about. There you go. We can leave it on that note. <laughs> I saved Christmas. <laughs> so here's here's the thing. Uh, the last thing I want to mention is, you know, I'm just, you know, I I do I'm doing research on every every episode we do, and I'm going through uh, promo pictures, and in almost every promo picture I see. Julian's wearing some wrestling stuff, and that piques my interest very much. Oh, uh, yeah. Because I, uh, much like him, it seems, is, I, I'm, I'm a huge professional wrestling nerd. So, having said that, if you want to put him in touch with me, uh, you're, you're more than welcome to do so. I am absolutely going to do that. See, uh, I'm, not allowed to, I'm not allowed to mention wrestling on air. I, I get usually... 45 seconds in and then I get yelled at a la like when they used to tell Boomer Sison that nobody cares about hockey. Like Mikey is just like, shut up. This isn't wrestling with Tom they, podcast. So they put you in, in wrestling jail. I know I, uh, <laughs> I will say this and, and I'm the guest, so I'm allowed to talk about it. Right. Um, no, but I wrestling is one of those things that I didn't realize how fun it was until I lived with Julian. Um, and we would come home from tour and he would be like, hey, I'm going to like a backyard wrestling show tonight. Do you want to come? And I'd be like, yeah, I'm not doing anything. Uh, and discovered that it is it is the most fun experience in the world. Like you learn all the chants. Everyone is so like it is like a big family. Everyone knows all the little like cheers and jeers. And it, it is amazing. It's so much fun. Um, so I, I respect it. Like I understand it. Uh, but yeah, I definitely got to get you in touch with him because he is the biggest wrestling nerd on planet Earth. I guess we got to change the name of our podcast to like bar down, breakdown, and also sometimes wrestling. Not happening. <laughs> yeah. you, could, you could branch off. <laughs> there you go. There you go. Yeah, you could, you could do one with Julian. You guys could start a secondary podcast. It'll be number one. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> well, Steven, man, it's been a blast chat with you. And, you know, we're, we're super exi- excited that Young Rising Sons is back. And, the singles have been awesome, so we're excited to hear what else you guys got coming out. And, you know, hopefully once, you know, the, the date is set, 
for the NHL season to start back up. We could get you back on to talk some meaningful hockey and, and how your caps are doing. But, you know, really appreciate you coming on. This was a lot of fun. Yeah, guys, thank you so much for having me. This has been an absolute blast. I, uh, I've been driving my girlfriend crazy by talking about like music and hockey explicitly while we're like just basically sitting in our apartment. Uh, <laughs> so this is great. I get to talk to someone else for once that doesn't want to murder me about it. So thank you so much for having me on, guys. And we'll definitely chat soon. All right, man. It's our pleasure. You have a good night. back and how often do we get to say that we talk to someone whose roots go back to the freaking patrick division man that's wild it really is dude when 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 he told us that and then like just how involved his family like besides his great grandfather being you know lester patrick mm-hmm. who the patrick division is named after named like for- Beyond that, beyond that, like his family is just so connected to hockey and it's crazy. It's crazy. Like to hear those stories. Can you imagine like playing roller hockey games in the neighborhood and like winner gets to hold like literally a piece of history? Yeah. Like (laughs) it's so wild. It really is crazy. And, um, and you know, like it's kind of funny because like, 
I guess your brain automatically goes to, you know, when you think of someone who has that stature, you kind of think like, oh, you know, you know, worrying about, oh, is this guy going to be tough to talk to? Like, are we going to like, you know, ask him all these questions that he's been asked before? And is he going to get bored? But dude, he like was just such an easy person to talk to. And like, he just like had all these like great stories and anecdotes. And like, it was just such an easy conversation, man. So I, I give all the props in the world to to Steve, man, and, and Young Rising Suns. They're a great band. And, like, they've legit had a hit single. Like, oh, yeah. Like, a legit like... hit single. And, mm-hmm. you know, I, we, we've talked to a, a few, you know, obviously, like, you know, Goldfinger and yeah. Simple Plan and Some 41. Like, they've had mm-hmm. hit singles, too. But they had, you know, Young Rising Suns, a hit single that, broke into the mainstream oh where, yeah where you know like those songs that you know i mentioned from those other bands like yeah they they were hits on like you know teen movies or video games but like no joke <laughs> hi you can hear that on commercials you can yeah. hear that playing at like award shows and yeah it's cool to talk to someone that has you know achieved a hit single it's cool yeah, and and not only that, but you know, in talking to Steve, you know, he he mentioned one of, you know, our favorite bands in in as tall as lines and talked about how, you know, Lefcadio, you know, sort of was an integral album in him really, you know, reaching his his kind of the sound that he was looking for and realizing that, you know, it's okay to be, you know, a band that has different sensibilities. So I kind of figured we'd we'd talk a little bit about As Tall as Lions, because I mean I guess we probably won't really get that opportunity much unless we find out that like Julio is like a hockey fan and then we could <laughs> just get him on. But Dude, um, can I can I just I don't even know if you know this story. So remember my like junky Jeep Wrangler that I drove in high school? Of course. So that Jeep Wrangler I bought from some guy that was selling it in my neighborhood. Mm-hmm. and i didn't know how to drive stick at the time and that was yeah. stick so like you know here i am a 16 year old kid looking to buy a car and i'm like yeah can like we go for a test drive and he's like yeah like hop in i was like well i actually don't know how to drive <laughs> so like he, he was like all right i'll drive it around you could kind of like just feel how it is and, and yeah. see if it, it, it rides smooth and it like was so awkward and he was like, hey, I'll just put on the radio. And he turned on the radio, and no joke, he was playing Lafcadio, like As oh, Tall wow. as Lions' album. And I was, like, so blown away because, you know, this is like a 45, 50-year-old guy yeah. listening to As Tall as Lions. And I had to ask him, like, hey, like, how do you even know this band? And I guess, long story short, it was, like, the Huntington Station, or not Huntington Station, Huntington Yacht Club. He, okay. This guy worked at, or he was like the manager of it, and I guess Cliff also was there as like a waiter or whatever, and was like, "Hey, I'm in this band," and gave like a bunch of the CDs out to people that worked there. <laughs> <laughs> and I guess the guy actually really liked it, so he had it in his, you know, in his car. And I, yes. I I'll never forget that it was just such a a random moment, but also kind of makes sense because it is Long Island, and all those guys are from Long Island, and oh yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. And, uh, I mean, it's kind of funny, um, you know, looking, looking at those, you know, those records they put out and how 
they evolved over time, you know, from left catio to the self-titled to, you know, you can't take it with you and how they just got a little bit more experimental with each record. But it's kind of crazy to, to think, and, you know, I, I, I don't think I'm speaking incorrectly, but Dan, you know, the, the singer, uh, multi, multi-instrumentalist in the band. I mean, he's gone on to like write music for like pop stars, huge pop stars, you know? Yeah. And I mean, it kind of makes sense thinking of you know how creative those songs were and how you know ahead of the time that band was in general that he would just you know be like okay well i could write a couple you know a couple pop songs that are are, you know are gonna you know make me some money and and some big hits and stuff and yeah i mean and that's what he's he's doing now and he's you know i I hear he's killing it that's that's awesome but uh i I just actually want to ask you too yeah please since you're a drummer yeah you know, obviously, I know jack shit about music, like yeah. other than it sounds good. Sure. But, you know, I've, I've probably, and you know, you as well, have seen As Tall as Lions live probably fifteen times. Mm-hmm. And one thing that always stands out from the performance, other than the fact that like they never wear shoes, is <laughs> how like skilled Cliff is behind the kit. Now, oh, incredible! Like, as as a drummer, do you feel like he was completely like underrated in the scene? Um, I think it would depend on who you talk to. So like if your casual as tall as lions fan would probably not realize how skilled cliff cliff was and how much of a, of a melodic drummer he was. But if you were to talk to like any of the, the bands, from Long Island during that time, and you were to bring up Cliff, I I would venture to say that anyone you talk to, be it anyone from Taking Back Sunday or Brand New or Glass Jaw or the Movie Life, they would probably all echo the sentiment that like Cliff is a hundred percent one of the best drummers on Long Island, um, and probably in that scene in that era, um, you know what makes. A, a great band is its rhythm section. So, you know, when you look at Cliff and Julio together, I mean, like they never skip a beat ever, you know? And I think that's what makes a great band, especially like as tall as lions, because like when you listen to as tall as lions, you know, like, I, you know, I'm getting kind of a little, little off tangent, but so, you know, listen to a band like taking back Sunday, right. And taking back Sunday is very guitar driven, you know, kind of on the, you know, on the more power chordy, you know, sort of, we're going to let our, like our vocals and like the dueling vocals, and we're going to let that kind of streamline our process in a way. Right. Or at least the first couple of taking back Sunday records. But when you listen to any as tall as lions record, you realize how important drum and bass is for them. And it sets them apart because like the pulse and the heartbeat and the rhythm and all of their songs are just so spot on and everything that's layered on top of it gives it like that that beauty but really the depth is in what Cliff and what Julio brought to that band um so for me anytime i listen that's what i catch and i mean like the self-titled record especially you know when you like listen to the first track on that record and like you hear you know the that bass sign you know like the boom 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 you know, like 
bro, if you're an as tall as Lions fan, you, you know exactly what the fuck I'm talking about. But it's just like <laughs> so good. And I, I, I can appreciate it so much because, you know, like that kind of writing kind of speaks to me because being a drummer, you want everything to be rhythm focused. So um, I love, love the way Cliff played. And, fun, and another fun fact that you may or may not know uh, is our buddy Joe, who we had on a couple of episodes back uh, from the Gunstays, Hopes Fall and his whole lineage. He had a drum company uh, called Fourth Street Drums. And uh, his prototype kit, the like first one he ever made, uh, I ended up buying and I still own it. But uh, Cliff had a Fourth Street snare drum made for him, if I'm not mistaken. If Joe listens to this episode, he can correct me, but I don't think I'm wrong. But yeah, he um, you know played, I think even recorded with and toured with a Fourth Street snare drum. So really cool. Well, other side note is like how adjacent deer park is to that band mm. obviously our buddy chris being their tour manager but then yep. you know in the early days dana collins being their pianist yeah yeah yep which you know kind of wild like one of the first times i saw them i wasn't even aware of that and mm-hmm. i was probably in 10th grade or 11th grade of high school and go to this as Line line show at the downtown and like a girl that I would see walking down the hallways is up on stage with them. And I'm like, what the hell? <laughs> and it was just so, so cool to see. Yeah. I mean, it, it just, you know, they were a great band. Like I said, they're, they're way ahead of their time. And, um, you know, it's unfortunate that they you know, stopped making music, uh, because I think they would have went on to do even more incredible things. And, uh, you know, their, their last record, some people didn't, click with it didn't click with people as much as maybe their first two did but if you listen to uh you know you can't take it with you front to back like you you just can't even if it's a a little more out of left field or if it's not as you know if it's not as agreeable to you 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 just you listen to it and you realize it's it's a work of art if anything else yeah i have to go back and listen to that because yeah i I think they they've always been ahead of the times oh yeah and i feel like now that album probably holds up really well oh oh it does i mean it absolutely does the uh all the tracks on it and i I mean you just you got to go back and listen to it yeah i I, i'm gonna do that it's probably been at least 10 years yeah and and if our listeners haven't had the opportunity to to check out as tall as lions um just just do it um for any other you know if you haven't had the opportunity just to expand those musical horizons and see if you find something you like. Cause they were, um, they were something else and I really, really enjoyed them. So it's cool, man. I'm glad we got to talk about as tall as lions. Cause yeah, like, we, like we, I said, when, when would we ever get to do that again? You know? Hey, Steve, Steven, Steve brought it up. So we're just going <laughs> to ride it out a little more because hell yeah, hell yeah, man, we could do what we want. Yeah. And you Nobody can do what you want. And hopefully yeah. that is going to coast to coast hockey on black Ooh. Friday. Yeah. Using that code bar down. Yeah. And scooping up those two sexy, sexy bar down breakdown shirts. And also scooping up some of the killer coast to coast designs that they have. And Tom dropped that his favorite is, you know, the the keep hipsters out of hockey PBR one. I also have that shirt and it's my favorite. 
it should be your favorite. So pick up that one. It's Hell so yeah. soft. It's exactly. so cool. Code bar down. And that's all I got. Yeah. And another thing real quick. So uh, we mention it to you all the time, but we are proudly members of the hockey podcast network. And if you haven't had the opportunity, if you're looking for a new favorite podcast, you should jump onto the network and see all of the great content that's being created because it is awesome. Uh, you know, we are not the only, um, you know, people that are cranking this stuff out. There are tons of podcasts that are on the network that are just as good, probably better than ours, probably more professional than ours, probably uh, doesn't, you know, feature well, we, two guys we, rambling we about. We do have two former professional hockey players that have their own shows on the network. <laughs> So, so I would I would hope that it's a little more professional. They're definitely more professional than us, and they're probably they, not. I, I guess they, I, since you brought it up, yeah. There, there's a new show on our network uh, that features Brad Lieb, former professional hockey player. Yep. And he just dropped episode four, and it has Ted Nolan yeah, as the guest. Right? Ted Nolan, former you know coach of the New York Islanders. So that's on my list of. Uh, thanksgiving break listens over a cup of coffee so yep listen that show out for sure check it out check it out check it all out check it out make sure to uh listen to our uh you know our awesome playlist that we do make sure to follow us for former fridays so you can check out the the new music that our our former guests are putting out um it's awesome we love it shout uh, out barons man that their new album just dropped on friday it's a doozy and you know, it's got some of those pop elements that a lot of the, you know, pop punk bands are starting to mix in. And it just makes sense. Like, Barons can be a legit just straight pop band, and I'm cool with it. I'm cool with it, too. And um, on that note, we're going to let you go, because here's the deal. You have a mere six days. No, Tom, do your math better. Six days. This episode no, drops on Tuesday. I'm not talking about when the episode drops. I'm talking about when the merch drops. So you have six days. Yes, but this episode won't come out until Tuesday. But that doesn't matter because today yes. is the day. Today is the day. Oh, oh, I see what you're saying. Okay, <laughs> like so no I'm, one's going to know that. <laughs> uh, okay, so you guys don't know that we recorded this on Saturday. What you do know is that this episode is going to drop on Tuesday the 24th, which means that you have two days well three days including tuesday we're not math guys clearly. what i'm telling you is that you need to make sure that when your direct deposit comes through you hold a little bit of that sweet sweet moolah aside so you can buy these sweet coast to coast shirts because you need our shirts you need a sweet black flag shirt you need a sweet keep hipsters out of hockey shirt you need these shirts because when you're walking around yeah, you know, people are going to be like, oh, do I want to hang out with the guy with the stupid, uh, stupid, you know, lame shirt? Or do I want to hang out with the guy with the sweet bar down breakdown shirt, or the sweet coast to coast hockey shirt? This is a no brainer. You're going to need that shirt because if you're a single guy, you walk up to a, a you know, a lady friend. She's going to be like, wow, great shirt. And you can be like, yeah, I know it's a great shirt. Let's go hang out. And you're going to hang out uh, six feet apart, socially distanced, uh, doing the right thing. But you're going to hang out. So. Mark my words, this is a guarantee from Tommy V and Bardown Breakdown that if you buy these shirts, ladies will be into you. Or if you're not into ladies, the boys will be into you. Whoever you're into, they're going to be into you. I promise you. That's a guarantee. 
All right, Tom. It's been real. Peace be with you. And also with you.
Hey, hockey fans, I'm Breezy. And I'm Ray Ray. We host the House of Hockey podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network. We're lifelong hockey fans who talk about the game and the lifestyle. Our guests include professional hockey players. My rookie party had to wear Speedo, and then we had a checklist of stuff we had to do. Here we go, Gaber. What do you got to say? And it's kind of <laughs> like, you know better than that now, boys. I got dressed for the Bruins. I get a phone call. He's like, dude, we need you over here by the elevator. You got to get downstairs. You got to get dressed right now. Started playing the like, Dun, 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 dun. And I turned it around and it had the Olympic rings and said, we did it. NHL team hockey reporters. I actually took the Stanley Cup to this ice bar where they've got now girls around them and I've got a fur coat on. <laughs> I wonder who, who he shoot checked over here. And then <laughs> I looked down at my favorite Hockey fans. The entire bar was lined with guys in Kings jerseys. We quickly realized, oh my gosh, this is the dad's trip. And we bring unique hockey stories to light. Coming back to England, 24 rings in the entire country. That's where the problem starts with the sport of ice hockey here. Canadian Blind Hockey Association, those few kids we interviewed, their whole week is built around Sunday at the rink. They're just hockey players. We don't agree on everything. Pineapple goes on pizza. (gasps) No, it does not. I think it does. But we do agree that there are many people and places that build the House of Hockey. New episodes every Tuesday. Come on in to the House of Hockey podcast on the Hockey Podcast Network.